I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. How have you been? I've been fine. Great to be back with you, Mike, and you, Mary. So good. It's wonderful. I know, I know uh, it seems just from looking over some of our notes, I know it seems like you've had quite the busy month. How, how have things been for you just generally this last month or so? Well, they have been busy. Of course, uh, once we get through Labor Day, everybody wants to get right back to work. Yes, um, indeed. I had uh, permanent deacon ordinations. I think we're going to talk about that a little later, probably. Mm-hmm. I had uh, the monthly presbyteral council meeting, which was really a blessing. We talked uh, with some, we had really good consultation about how to uh, advance our work as uh, priests in families of parishes. I had a meeting from uh, Archbishop Masafara in Albania, and uh, he gave me an account of uh, so many of the Catholics in Albania who witnessed to the faith by their lives and their deaths. I was uh, humbled and edified by what he had to say. And uh, I was able to be at... uh, uh, Holy Redeemer's School for the distribution of St. Martin de Porres scholarships for uh, kids who will be able to get their Catholic education at Redeemer School because of the generosity of donors in the Archdiocese. Awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. That's great. You have been busy. Yeah. (laughs) Archbishop, I know that obviously that we're we're in the year of uh, prayer for priestly vocations, and I know that just recently you expanded on that pastoral note, uh, specifically with a, with a prayer, and I wondered if you, it was a beautiful prayer, and some of the themes that you reflect on in it are, are great. I wonder if you wanted to share some of that with our listeners. Well, a uh, number of uh, particular intentions. I think they fall into uh, a few categories. Uh, one, uh, to pray that not only that our men called, but that they will have the, the strong courage, the faith, the confidence to, to respond. Another important uh, prayer is uh, to pray for our communities, uh, especially our families, pray for our our parishes, that they be the nurturing place for vocations. Mm. I think it's also important to, as Blessed Solanus tells us, to thank God ahead of time. So Mm -hmm. we need to thank God right now for the way we know he will answer our prayers. And uh, I think... uh, Two more important themes uh, to remember when we pray, why we pray. It's not so that we'll have more conveniences and uh, a less troubled life, but Mm. because the harvest is at stake. And Mm. finally, to pray with confidence alongside Our Lady, who is the mother of priests. You know, we also, last month, we talked about uh, Respect for Life Month in October and the things that we were going to be doing as an archdiocese. I know that you had a chance to celebrate Mass for Respect Life Sunday and gratitude to the Sacred Heart of Jesus for the gift of human life and the reality that we're all made in the image and likeness of God. How was the Mass? What did you share um, with the attendees? Well, uh, the principal purpose was to give God thanks uh, to the triumph of his Sacred Heart Uh, It is not accidental. It's by providence that uh, the judgment about the reversal of Roe versus Wade happened on the feast day of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. 
the mm. triumph of the heart of the victor uh, over sin and death. So we wanted to give God thanks for what he has done, but uh, given where we are in Michigan right now with Proposal 3 on the ballot, it was an important occasion to entrust the future to the power of the heart of Christ, Christ our King. And so I renewed the, my uh, appeal for people, please, to uh, pray, vote, and give in order to defeat uh, Prop 3, especially uh, as uh, witnesses to the gospel. We need to vote no on proposition, on Proposal 3, uh, because it's uh, way, way radical in mm. trying to impose an abortion uh, regime on uh, on the citizens of the state. Yeah. I've been really pleased with some of the really direct messaging when it comes to Proposal 3 to kind of counter some of the opposite messaging, which makes it almost appear that this law is just uh, a basic you know, law that allows women to have rights. I think it's really important that we keep as a church, and I'm seeing it happen all over the place, emphasize how important it is to vote no and how radical this bill really is. And I know we spent a lot of time talking about it last month, but... Um, I'm just encouraged to see how many people within our faith are coming out strongly with that message. Well, Mary, one of the uh, measures of how radical it is is uh, that it would take away uh, the need for uh, parental, even right. notification right. Uh, about uh, transgender sterilization, uh, yeah. abortion operations of uh, uh, minor young women. Uh, right. Mm -hmm. uh, that... that is, is a touchstone to understand how radical this is. Right. Yeah. I just want to remind all of our listeners, too, that they can visit aod.org slash pro-life to learn more about this. I've been on that website quite a bit, um, along with the Michigan Catholic Conference, to really be able to inform myself on some of the things that we know that the bill, uh, the proposals are saying, and how to be able to spread that in an effective way to other people. Because I think, and you had mentioned this last month, it was really impactful for me, most people of goodwill would not want this to be written into our state constitution. Um, but it's just, it's taking the time to really appreciate what is in the proposal in order to know why we have to vote no on it so firmly. And I keep saying, and then be vocal in our opposi uh, opposition, right? Right. Well, today, on a different note, uh, we have we know that we are in our year of prayer for priestly vocations. Um, and in June, we recorded an episode about that. And today, we're going to return to the month of vocations, but this time with a different focus, the diaconate and religious vocations for men and women in the Archdiocese of Detroit. It's something that we all as Catholics hear about, but it, we get to kind of dive into it today to understand um, both the, the different religious vocations that we have within this diocese and the diaconate. So to begin with, can you explain to us what the diaconate is and maybe how many deacons we have in the local church and how many are serving here. Well, Mary, the diaconate is one of the three orders in the sacrament of holy orders. It has its origin in the very discernment of the apostolic church. Mm -hmm. We read in the Acts of the Apostles that Peter and the others of the twelve uh, needed assistance in the fulfillment of the ministry entrusted to them by the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so um, a, a part of what they were doing uh, became a distinct order, the order mm -hmm. of deacon. And there were seven men uh, discerned by the community to be presented to the apostles. The, the most well-known, of course, is Stephen the deacon martyr. 
-hmm. And uh, so this order has continued in the church. It's by apostolic institution. Uh, and uh, it uh, is principally understood to be uh, an order of service uh, to accompany uh, the two priestly orders, the order of uh, a bishop, the order of uh, parish priest, in order to fulfill pastoral responsibilities, especially the service to the, the poor and those at mar and the margin. You asked about numbers. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we have 127 active deacons, wow. and there are uh, 67 who are, uh, are retired, uh, okay. have some sort of limited. Now, there's a degree of limit in service. Some, some are infirm and not able to do really any active service beyond their prayer. Mm -hmm. Others uh, have limited uh, duties. Okay. I like when you said this idea of uh, of service, and I know so often in today's culture, you know, we talk about power and and power being this, you know, who's got the power to do what, and we think of political areas and and areas of business. And um, I know Pope Francis and even yourself have really tried to remind us that you know, t as as Christians, power lies in our service, uh, not in anything else. Uh, you've mentioned that our deacons are the custodians of service in the church, and that um, you know. Therefore, they're servants of power, if you will, and, and they're custodians of true power, which is service. And that's kind of from our discipleship Christian mindset. Um, Do you want to speak a little bit more into that and like what kind of service it looks like for a deacon typically? Well, let me uh, step back a little bit and talk about uh, this uh, definition of uh, power equaling service. Mm -hmm. The real sacrament for that, of course, is the crucifix, where you have seemingly the the most powerless who is perf he performing the greatest of services to us uh, in love and so it uh, this inversion that you're po uh, pointing out mike is really most clearly symbolized in christ himself and in christ on, on calvary um, the service deacons give is uh, the liturgy, the church's uh, teaching speaks really of three uh, dimensions, uh, service of the word, uh, service at the altar, and the service of charity, evangelical charity. And uh, the teaching of the magisterium, the popes, uh, very clear that these three are these these are not three pieces it's not like a salad that just gets tossed together mm -hmm. the radishes and the <laughs> right. celery right <laughs> but the, these are three dimensions of one identity uh, because of the nature of grace the nature of christian salvation that uh, let's start with the ministry of charity uh, this is rooted in the revelation in the word and it's out of hearing the word in faith that we are then uh, impelled to imitate the word. And all of this uh, service of love and the embrace of the word finds its consummation at the altar. Mm. Uh, uh, and so rightly, uh, the uh, custodian of service in our community, uh, another word we might say is the steward of service in our community, has an appropriate place uh, alongside the priest at the altar. That's beautiful. 
I see a note in our outline for today that in uh, 1987, St. Pope John Paul II visited the Archdiocese of Detroit and gave a special address to deacons and their wives in the church. My father is a deacon, Regis Buckley, and I, I find it interesting how much ministry is done with both the deacons and their wives, both in retreats and in gatherings and things like that. Was it significant for the Pope to address the deacons of the Archdiocese and their wives? Do you remember this? Do you remember anything about that occasion? Mary, I, I mostly it is a remembrance that it happened, uh-huh. And, I'm very, and I'm very grateful for uh, you you bringing it up. Yeah. And I do think it's significant. Uh, over time, uh, based on the sacramental economy of sort of in marriage to becoming one flesh, I think we have, uh, as I say, over time, come to understand not that uh, the the wives of deacons are themselves ordained. Right. But they have some appropriate partnership with their husbands mm-hmm. in in their work. Well, Mary, you've seen that play out in your own family then too, haven't you? Somewhat. Yeah, it's it's been really neat to see how um, the the diaconate and that call for my father has become. In some ways, obviously, it's a, a particular call for him, but of course, embraced in our entire family. So, um, yeah, I think it's really neat when they they do retreats together. They're in a unique position, and so to be able to lean on each other in fellowship and in community and in learning, I think has been really beneficial for them. How about the rest of you, Mary? You don't. Just them. Your kids don't feel no. neglected. No, no, it's been, well, I do think there's this particular aspect, right, with sharing responsibilities. It gives you a a unique look into what a married priesthood could look like, right? Because we have a really large family and my parents have these commitments to the diaconate, commitments to their family. And so finding a balance in all that has been super fascinating. But for our family, it's been a huge blessing. My dad, when he was ordained a deacon, it was one of the most beautiful days, obviously, of our lives. And all the grandchildren were gathered there. It was really, really awesome. And it's allowed me to see some beauty in the diaconate in a unique way, you know, so it's awesome. Well, Archbishop, I know so many of us, we're, we're so familiar with seeing, um, you know, the diaconate, of course, and diocesan priests. And for most of us, that that's kind of the experience when we go to Mass on Sundays. But I know also we have so many other religious vocations in our Catholic Church, and many even here serving uh, from those uh, other religious vocations in our own archdiocese. I wonder if you kind of just speak a little bit about what some of those other religious vocations are, uh, in case some of our listeners maybe aren't as familiar with, with what else is out there besides diocesan ministry. Let's just talk about a vocation to uh, religious life, Mike. It, it's basically about uh, a group of people who uh, feel uh, called to share the charism of, of founders uh, the, that uh, are very impressive, very attractive, and who live a, the founders live a way of life that these women and men want to be part of. And there's a whole range of these in the life of the church. Uh, originally, it began with uh, monastic founders, uh, the great patriarch of monks, St. Anthony in the desert, who attracted followers who wanted to share his life. Other great monks like St. Benedict. And then uh, uh, great uh, missionary men like St. Francis. People wanted to live the life of Francis. People want to live the life of St. Dominic. Uh, women want to live the life of uh, uh, Catherine Macaulay or uh, Mary Angela Truchowska, the Felicians. And so, uh, and in doing that, they make, make promises, vows of 
uh, radical poverty, radical chastity, and radical obedience. And so there's a great variety of these charisms in the life of the church. And uh, we have uh, basically uh, a wide range of uh, groups. I think we have uh, 28 orders of priests, three orders of brothers, and about 36 orders of women in the Archdiocese of Detroit. And their uh, charisms fall into two distinct groups. One that are more, uh, a group that are more contemplative, uh, whose life is focused on, on prayer uh, for the church, for the glory of God. And another group, another set of all of those in the larger group that are focused on the apostolic ministry, the works of the apostolate. You know, Archbishop, just a, as, a, as a question, just kind of following up with that, you know, I, I know for in this year of prayer for priestly vocation and talking about that idea of vocation, it's obviously up for a young a young man or even a young young woman to discern the way in which God is calling them. And specifically, I guess for priests, you know, how how would one go dis about discerning between you know being a diocesan as opposed to a Franciscan or you know some other you know order priest? And how did that play into your own vocation? Did you ever at any point discern you know being a Jesuit or or Franciscan or Dominican or some other? Uh, type of, of priest? Yeah, I'll get to the second question second, Mike, but uh, okay. <laughs> how to go about it. I mean, I, th I think uh, what typically a man feels uh, attracted to devote himself to the work of Christ. I mean, it, it, and, and often to some particular dimension of it. It doesn't necessarily come just as a generic impulse. But a very good way to distinguish uh, uh, between a call to uh, religious life and a call to being a priest for a diocese is um, the, uh, the man to ask himself, is he attracted to the fellowship of followers who have gathered around the charismatic figure? Hmm. Is this uh, the, is the life that they lead in the, in the Dominicans, is that the life God's calling me to uh, to lead. Now, some religious communities, uh, because of who they are, uh, the church has decided to give the men who follow these charismatic figures the priestly ministry, the Jesuit uh, priests, though there are Jesuit brothers. Um, that, that's the call, hmm. to, to follow St. Ignatius and to take what comes from following him. Whereas a diocesan priest, his call is to be at the pastoral service of a particular diocese. This is where God, say in the Archdiocese of Detroit, a man says, I want to be part of this band of priests who's, who work with the, the archbishop to provide pastoral care, most often in parishes, but there's other forms as well. I want to help, I want to help in Southeast Michigan. This is where mm -hmm. God wants me to be mm -hmm. a pastor. Mm. For myself, uh, I did think about two religious communities. I thought about uh, uh, possibility, was I called to be a Jesuit or was I called to be a Benedictine? And I decided I was called to be a priest for the Archdiocese of Detroit. And hmm. then the Lord put you in the position of the archbishops. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Along the way with a lot of steps in between, yes. Mary. Yes. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Archbishop um, 
you know, a religious uh, order priest and a religious order brother. Can you take a second to kind of talk us through the difference between the two? Well, sure. There are communities that are made up of both brothers and uh, priests, like the Jesuits, the Dominicans, the Capuchins. Then there are com- then there are communities where uh, the uh, the men follow a charismatic figure who uh, had only uh, who, who who had no priests as part of that group uh, mm-hmm. uh, brothers only uh, for example uh, the uh, the Christian brothers uh, who teach in schools mm-hmm. uh, so uh, their call is to uh, engage in this uh, vocation uh, mm-hmm. without the responsibility of the priesthood. And in mm-hmm. fact, this is also in many monasteries, there are men who are solemnly professed as mm-hmm. contemplatives in the monastery and are not called to take out along with that the priestly ministry, but they are full-fledged uh, monks of the, of the abbey. Interesting. Along those same lines, we'll hear sometimes about religious sisters and cloistered nuns. Is there a difference between sisters and nuns? And then what would the difference between the two be? Well, nun is actually our English translation for the Latin word for female monk. Oh, oh really? I did not know that. Monica. Monica. And so... uh, a nun, in the most technical sense, mm-hmm. is a, a woman who is uh, vowed to the cloister. Okay. Uh, that would be, for example, like our sisters out at uh, Farmington Hills at the Monastery of the Blessed Sacrament or the Carmelite sisters. They are, in the very classic sense, nuns. Mm-hmm. Now, we use this word, you know, very loosely typically right. as a name mm-hmm. for all religious women but right. uh, it's a, it, in in the in church speak it's a very technical word the other question i have that i i'm so interested to hear uh, what this process is what's the process for religious order coming into a diocese or an archdiocese to care for a parish or a school or provide other types of ministries i've always wondered this as we have people come into the archdiocese how who decides that and how it gets decided how permissions are granted can you give us a little insight into that process communities generally come uh, at uh, the invitation of somebody already in the diocese engaged in a ministry or some other process. Okay. Uh, sometimes it's the parish priest, uh, sometimes it's a community that's already here that uh, has the uh, idea of getting some, uh, some ally. Sometimes the bishop takes the initiative and approaches a community and says, uh, uh, would you consider please uh, coming to the diocese and taking up your work. And it isn't necessarily apostolic work. Uh, um, uh, certainly bishops, uh, every bishop wants some form of contemplative life uh, in in his community. That's just part of being a full-fledged church. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes a community will approach the bishop and say, uh, we think there's scope for our way of life in your diocese. Would you consider having us come? And uh, that begins on either end, begins a process of uh, investigation, uh, making sure that uh, the community is uh, solid. 
has uh, all the proper authorizations. And uh, on the part of the community, it involves discernment. Is this the place uh, for them to expand in order to fulfill God's will and live out the charisms that God has given them? You know, Archbishop, I know, um, obviously, when, once you became Archbishop in 2009, is that correct? 2009 yes. you became Archbishop? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, obviously, you, you must have ha- inherited many of the religious orders that were already here in Archdiocese of Detroit. Since that time, though, were there, you know, you just talked about the process a little bit that was really interesting. Has there been any new orders in that, in, in during your tenure, um, that have specifically come, either they requested it of you or you requested them to come? Any specific ones that have come that were kind of new? in the last handful of years? Well, one of the, uh, the uh, SALT Fathers, the Society of Our Lady of the Holy Trinity, right. uh, we've asked them to come. There was a SALT priest who worked with me mm. in, uh, in the Korea in evangelization. Okay. And uh, mm. he and I began to talk, and he said, you know, my community would really fit in well here. And uh, he, he was the, the point of ca- uh, contact. Uh, another one are the Companions of the Cross. They fit in very well. And then the uh, uh, Franciscans of the Holy Spirit, they're a new community that have come to the Archdiocese. And one of the things that has been attractive to some of these communities mm-hmm. is uh, Sacred Heart Seminary, Sacred right. Heart mm-hmm. Major Seminary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've also had the Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign Priest, come to... Uh, uh, take care of uh, the community at uh, the Shrine of St. Joseph, Old St. Joseph on J Street. Hmm. We've also had the salt, with the salt priests now, we've had the salt sisters come right. uh, to serve at uh, Holy Redeemer School. Hmm. And most recently, the sisters have established a formation house uh, wow. in southwest Detroit. Uh, also, uh, in my time, uh, the, uh, Fran- the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, have taken mm-hmm. uh, responsibility for St. Isaac Jogues' school. So that would be uh, what comes to mind is, uh, in response yeah. to your question. It's yeah. so interesting when you, when you name those different orders. And I, I've had such positive experiences in terms of evangelization from so many of them. And it's neat to think of the work of the Holy Spirit could be something like a conversation, you know, between um, two people in leadership saying, hey, I think our, our men or women could be well suited in your diocese. And then to see the fruits of, of what happens when uh, these orders are brought into our diocese, it's kind of a really cool thing to think about. Yeah, Mary, I think that's a very good technical term, really cool thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's my gift, Archbishop, is bringing up these technical terms in our podcast recording. <laughs> It's awesome. That's great. Oh, it's funny. But you know, Mary, uh, as you're, you're talking about the fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit uh, yeah. with new gifts, yeah. I don't want to lose uh, track of the uh, the uh, the long-standing gifts that mm. uh, are vibrant right. here in the archdiocese right. as well. It's so true. Both working together, right? It's it's really awesome. I know we've talked a lot about religious orders, and we know that a lot of our religious orders, you mentioned this, do really great work in the archdiocesan schools that we have, and even beyond the archdiocesan schools, religious order schools. In what ways do you think that it benefits a diocese to have religious orders or sponsored schools that are run by religious orders? Well, we are very clear that our schools need to be centers of evangelization. 
mm-hmm. that uh, in helping our young people prepare for their uh, adult life, that always involves two dimensions, uh, preparing uh, for a life of competence and preparing for a life of discipleship. And those, again, aren't two things laminated on one another, but those are uh, uh, aspects of one reality, living one's vocation. Uh, And uh, I think uh, typically in a a school where we have religious women and men, uh, they offer kind of a paradigm for what we hope will be the case in all of our schools. Uh, they, they're, they're in some ways a sacrament of what, uh, what things ought to be like, what we aim for things to be like in every school. Well, and I like that too. You kind of made mention that, I mean, they show the, the range of diversity of our Catholic faith and that it's not, um, there's many, many aspects and ways to live this out and, and they show the, the brilliance of the many dimensions of that. So that's just a really beautiful thing that they bring to our diocese as well, of course. Right, because uh, the, the, the grace of Christ is too rich for any one person or any one uh, community to uh, have it all. Hmm. Uh, these are facets of, uh, of the beautiful gem who is Christ Jesus. You know, Archbishop, just to kind of return back to where we were at the beginning, speaking a little bit about earlier this month, you just ordained three men to the permanent diaconate for the Archdiocese of Detroit, uh, specifically Michael James Hurd, Sidney Delano uh, Johnson, and Alan Paul Pionk. Um, you just re- you just received these men uh, into the permanent diaconate for our, and serving our own Archdiocese. Can you tell us a little bit about that Mass, how it went, and, and even maybe where these newest deacons are serving? It was a beautiful occasion, Michael. Uh, it was last Saturday, of course. Uh, full representation of the diaconate community, uh, the men of the permanent diaconate and their wives. It was an opportunity, I hope, uh, to uh, for me to be able, I hope it came across this way, to uh, uh, reinforce my appreciation to the whole community and especially a way to celebrate Uh, how God and his providence had been at work in the lives of these three men, uh, their wives and their family, their communities, uh, that had led them to this moment where they offered themselves to God for this service. And uh, God, through the church, through my humble ministry and those who work along with me, uh, affirmed their their offer and consecrated it by uh, the laying on of my hands and the consecration prayer. It was a beautiful occasion. Uh, Where are they going to go? Deacon Hurd has been missioned to Our Lady of Sorrows in Farmington. I think maybe some of you know about that place, right? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, we're sitting there right now. (laughs) Uh, Deacon Johnson is going to Christ the Redeemer in Lake Orion. And uh, Deacon uh, Pionk uh, excuse me, is going to uh, St. Christopher in Marysville. Awesome. Actually, uh, wonderful. He lives up that way. I think he lives even farther north in St. Clair County. So okay. he, he <laughs> so, won't have too much of a commute. Yeah, yeah. he'll have to relocate yeah. his family to uh, Monroe. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, right. Well, about, uh, okay. I have a, a very uh, we have a board of uh, advisors. Who okay. helps me with the assignments and of course uh, 
uh, work and family life always has to be taken into account with a deacon's assignment. As a kind of book end to the ordination masses that you've celebrated, you also celebrate a jubilee mass every year for men and women in consecrated life who are celebrating a milestone anniversary in their ministries. What general message do you like to share with men and women religious at these masses? They're always so neat to see when you know they're posted on social media all the years of service. So what are some of the messages that you like to share with them? Well, one of the things I think is important is to uh, explicitly... Uh, have them be mindful of uh, the communion that binds all of them together in religious life. Almost inevitably, they will have had jubilee celebrations in their mother houses, in their own communities. But I think it's good for the women and men in religious life who serve in the archdiocese, who live in the archdiocese, to come together, and I usually put it this way, for all of them to join in the thanksgiving of each of them. I think that's uh, mutual support and solidarity in thanksgiving. Uh, another important message is to express my gratitude to them uh, for uh, the worth of their witness. There's a lot of workaholism in the life of an American, uh, uh, even an American Catholic. And so there's a way that we can get focused on doing the job and who does which work. And, but more importantly, uh, I mean, I certainly treasure the works that are accomplished by uh, men and women religious, but the fundamental treasure of their lives is their witness to the gospel. And I want to underscore that as well. Just to bring it back around again, I know in 1987, when John Paul II was here visiting, St. John Paul II was here visiting, and he, he was speaking about specifically vocations. He's quoted as, you know, saying it, it was not, he's kind of quoting the Gospels here, but he says, it was not you who chose him, but he who chose you to go forth and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I know that's um, a big piece of counsel, this idea, obviously, that it is Christ who first calls us. And, you know, a question for you, Archbishop, is that what, what is that, how, how do we as the lay faithful um, how do we support that? How do we assist that in this year of priestly vocations? Um, how, how do we help people to really hear the fact that it's not them choosing this, but God choosing them? You've got me thinking here a minute, Mike. Uh, <laughs> how can we help? I, th I think two things that can be useful. One, if uh, somebody sees a young man, we're talking about the priesthood, uh, a young man or a woman, religious life, uh, that uh, has the qualities that would be suitable to, to raise that in, in a discreet way and say, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, intrude, but I just want to tell you I admire this and, and I wonder. Uh, you, mm -hmm. This is something I, you, you might well think about. And then... Um, to pray, uh, and I think it's good to pray for vocations in general, but uh, if, if you have a lead on somebody who might likely have a vocation, to pray for that person in particular. Hmm. And I would suggest asking uh, this grace for, for people, the grace to be able to hear. Uh, this, uh, by all accounts in the literature, this is the great difficulty today. 
mm. is uh, for people to have time to be able to hear the, the still, quiet voice of God inviting them uh, to consecrate their life to the work of the gospel. And then a prayer for courage, because uh, ever more clearly it takes, uh, take, it, this is countercultural, and it takes, uh, it's a risk, it takes courage to say yes to Christ. Is there anything else you want to mention, Archbishop Vigneron, about um, the diaconate or uh, calls to the religious life? Anything before we wrap up today? Well, to put it in a context, Mary, everybody, every Christian has a vocation. Mm. We're all called to do something to advance the kingdom of God. And uh, we all need to be on watch for what the Holy Spirit shows us. Is What can I do in the long run? And Specifically, what can I do today uh, to serve my Lord and, and his cause? I think that's very... Cardinal Newman puts it this way, God made each of us to do him some particular work, uh, and nobody else can do it the way he wants it done by me. Uh, my way of putting it, if I don't do it, he'll have to go to plan B. And mm -hmm. he can do plan B, but right. it's better to get plan A. Mm. That's awesome. That's a great way of thinking about it. Right. You know, Archbishop, before we close, of course, with your prayer and blessing, we always want to ask if, if there's any special intentions that you have that we can keep in mind as we pray over this next month or ourselves for us and, of course, all of our listeners. Well, certainly uh, pray for a conversion of heart uh, for those who advance the cause of uh, abortion regime and pray for the defeat of uh, Proposition 3. Hmm. Archbishop, I, I ask if you wouldn't mind closing us with a prayer and your own blessing. Because we're talking about this uh, great struggle, I'd like to simply use the prayer to invoke St. Michael to defend mm -hmm. us and defend life. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down on you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Archbishop. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mike. Of course. Thank you. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like I Am Here, a new podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.